Before we jump into our message today, I just want to take a few moments. Know this is on all of, I'm sure, is on all of our hearts this week. The situation going on in the Middle East. We're seeing it constantly in the news, seeing it um, in social media, news feeds, and all those things. Seeing all kinds of opinions and ideas about what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, just want to take a few moments um, to just bring some, uh, some focus to this. I really can't take too, too long. I wish, wish we had more time today, but I want to take about five minutes and, and talk about this before we dive into our message today. Uh, the scripture tells us in, in Psalm 122, it tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know that um, from, from, the, from almost 4,000 years ago, when Abra Abraham walked on this earth, that God chose Abraham and his family to be his special nation and his special people. And through Israel, through that nation, through the Hebrew people, God brought a Savior into this world. Right? Amazing. He brought a Savior into this world. Jesus came into this world as a Jewish man, as a Jewish descendant of kings, that he had the right to sit on the throne of Jerusalem. And <clears throat> because of that, um, uh, you know, we, we recognize he's not only the king of the Jewish people, but he is, he, by, by nature of all that he did on the cross, bringing us, those who, who trust in the name of Jesus, bringing us into Abraham's family. Jesus became our king, became king of kings and lord of lords. God had told David that, that there is coming one who would sit on David's throne forever, and that is Jesus, right? Um, in 1948, Israel became a nation again, an actual nation. The Jewish people have been around you know, all those millennia, all those centuries. But Israel actually became a geopolitical nation once again. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that, that that's never happened in history with any other nation, that you've got a gap of thousands of years and a, and a people group becomes a nation again. It was foretold in the scriptures, it was prophesied, and God brought it to pass. Right? And in the midst of all that, so, so here we have, here's Israel. Um, here's uh, the West Bank, Palestinian Authority Territory, and the Gaza Strip, Palestinian Authority Territory. However, this, over the last number of years, has been taken over by a group, as you've heard in the media over and over, called Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. The, uh, the, the, rest, uh, the West Bank is ruled by Fatah, which is uh, the political arm of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, and they have made peace accords with, with Israel. Hamas outright rejects all of those peace accords. They don't want peace. They want Israel to disappear. Right? And so that's why we're, part of why we're at where we're at. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Because has the nation state of Israel always done everything right? No, they haven't. Right? Like any nation, they've made some big mistakes and they've not honored agreements and, and all kinds of things have, have gone on 
on both sides, right, that have got us into a mess. But what happened last Saturday on the 7th of October was an inexcusable terrorist action by Hamas to, to move into Israel territory and slaughter hundreds of innocent young adults, children, elderly, babies. And what's happening right now is a response by Israel to say, enough is enough, right? Hamas is, should, you know, is not allowed to get away with this and, and to root out Hamas. It's a mess. It's complicated. As I've said a number of times this week through my pastor's coffee break and, and, our, um, uh, and the EB update, please pray for everyone in this situation, right? We pray for Israel. Yes, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We do. But there are thousands and thousands of innocent Palestinians who have no connection to Hamas and want no connection to Hamas that are, that are becoming collateral damage in this, right? And so we pray for the region. We pray for, uh, for, uh, for God to bring wisdom, direction to those that are making decisions. We pray for peace. But we also know in the midst of all of this that God is advancing his timeline. We, I don't, I'm not claim to, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a date giver. I don't believe in any of that. I believe the Bible's really clear that we're not to set dates or point at dates and say, well, this is the time. Now it's happening. Well, maybe. But we've said that before. So, so we'll watch. We're told to watch, right? But there will come a time when the world will turn against Israel in a significant way. Here's a map of all of the, the states of the Arab League of Nations. All the green nations are Arab nations. And here's, here's Israel, this little sliver surrounded by nations, some of which are dedicated to the eradication and the destruction of Israel as a nation. Not all, but some. And there will come a day when Israel will be surrounded and the world will turn against Israel. And the Antichrist will rise up we're told in scripture, and make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. So if you keep watching, when that day comes, then you can say, it's here. Right? As we watch prophecy of scripture being, coming to fruition and, and coming to reality in front of us. It's not something to be fearful of, folks. Because that King Jesus is still on the throne. And he knows what he's doing. And, um, you know, I had someone I was in dialogue this week that just said, you know, this, this is giving me a lot of fear. What if, what if I, you know, what if I don't see another Christmas? And my encouragement to them and my encouragement to you is... None of us knows if we have tomorrow, let alone Christmas. And so we cannot and must not live in fear, but we live every moment that God has given us, which is a gift from Him. We live it to the fullest, and we live it for Him, and we keep one eye on the sky, watching for Him, and we keep one eye on the work that He's called us to do until He comes. Amen?
Well, I'm happy to, uh, if, if I don't claim to be a, a, an expert on all this, but if you have questions, feel free to email me anytime. I, I, I love dialoguing with questions. Um, but let's pause for a moment and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Father, we thank you today for your, for, uh, your love for people, period. Your love for people. The whole reason you chose out Israel, the whole reason you said, I will place my name in Jerusalem, the whole reason all of that happened is so that all of humanity might be blessed by what you did through Abraham's family. God, you did not choose Israel to the exclusion of the other nations, but you chose Israel to be a light to the other nations. So God, may you make Israel a light. May you cause righteousness to rise up in the hearts and the lives of the leaders of that nation, that they would do right, that they would act justly, and that God, over, the, over the, the days and weeks to come, that God, you would, I just pray that you would send and release warring angels to bind the demonic forces that are influencing these terrorist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah um, that, are, that, that want nothing but hate. Pray that you would bind those demonic forces, Father, in Jesus' name. And that, God, your good plan and purpose would be carried out. We pray that you would bring about peace in Jerusalem, in Israel, and in the Palestinian territories. That you would bring about your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for that, indulging me for a few moments, but I felt that some of us may, may be helped by that. And now we need to put it in high gear and really uh, move through some, some uh, content. So, you ready? Seatbelts on. We are talking today, as we continue uh, part two in our series uh, called One Another. We're looking at the one another instructions, the one another commands in the New Testament. We talked about last week how the word one another is uh, in the Greek language, in the language of the New Testament. It isn't two words, but it's one word. And that we said that that helps us understand that one anothering is actually a concept in the New Testament. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not just throwing some words together, but, but there's actually this idea in the Greek and, and the New Testament writers, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were pulling on that concept when they gave this idea of, in the church, one anothering with each other. How we treat one another matters. It matters. It really, really matters, right? And... Uh, uh, the most common one another that we find in Scripture, we said last week, is love one another. To love one another. And uh, all these other one another's really are, are part of how we love one another. Right? And, uh, and so we have grouped these one another's into four groups. And uh, today we're doing number two, forgive one another. Talking about the concept of grace as in the way that we treat each other. As I said last week, we're, gonna, we're, we're reading lots of scriptures because we, we want to cover all of the, uh, the 47 one another instructions in the New Testament um, before we're done. So. so, forgive one another. That's uh, the, our first scripture is Colossians 3, verse 13. If you're following in your Bibles or Bible apps, 
Um, Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Read that again. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This passage not only calls us to forgive our brothers and sisters, but it calls us to bear with each other. To bear with each other. And I would suggest to you that that bearing with each other, bearing with the people around us, is um, is actually living in an ongoing attitude of forgiveness. You know that thing that irritates you that someone does? Spouses, don't be looking at each other. But that thing that someone does that just irritates you and drives you, drives you nuts, that way that they act or that way that they talk that irritates you, what if they never stop doing it? Are you still able to love them? Because we are called to love one another, not based on the other person's living up to our expectations. Right? So what if they never change that behavior? Are you still able to love them? We need to learn to bear with each other. Because you know what? There's a lot of people bearing with you. Right? And grace says that we ought to treat other people the same way that we want to be treated. And if the people around you are able to bear with your irritating ways, if you don't think you have some, just ask somebody. If they're able to do that, then, then we owe it to one another to bear with those around us, right? That's called grace. If there's something that someone has done that has hurt or offended you, then we must learn to forgive. Forgive one another, we're told in this passage. It's not, it's not, oh, Paul must have meant, you know, only if they change, only if they ask forgiveness, only if, only if, no, forgive one another. We must forgive because we are called to, as this passage shows us. Three things. We're called to forgive. We must forgive because it will free us. And we must forgive because we have been forgiven. That's what this passage tells us. We must forgive because we're called to, because it will set us free, and because we have been forgiven. Let's walk through those Uh, briefly this morning. We are called to forgive. Peter, remember that time when Peter, Matthew chapter uh, chapter 18, verse uh, 21, 22, Peter comes up to Jesus, and and Jesus has just been talking about forgiveness, and Peter's, Peter's obviously got somebody, he's, you know, somebody's been irritating Peter. Somebody's been driving him crazy. Somebody's done something to offend him again. And Peter comes to Jesus and he says, well, what do you want, Jesus? You know, we have to forgive somebody like seven times? How many times do we have to forgive them? Jesus says, 
I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's 490 times. The same person does the same thing, and you have to forgive them, Jesus says, 490 times. I mean, he doesn't literally, he doesn't mean the 491st time you get scot-free. You know, you don't have to forgive. What he means is, you need to forgive every time. That's a pretty tall order. We are called to forgive. We've all been there. We've all had people do stuff in the church, in our family, you know, on the road, road raging in front of us, whatever it is, right? We've all had people doing stuff that we've had difficulty forgiving. And we may say this morning, but, but it, it's not fair. Like, it, it stings so badly. How can I honestly be expected or required to just let it go? How can I let them get away with what they have done to me? Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Right? Let me say, first of all, few things forgiveness is not because that might help us defining forgiveness might help us forgiveness is not never feeling angry again about that thing that happened because because forgiveness is not a feeling it's not a feeling that's where we maybe get stuck because we, we say, okay, finally God gets us to the place where we say, I forgive that person. And then two weeks later, we remember again what they did and all those feelings come up again and we're like, oh, I guess I didn't forgive them. I don't know if I can forgive them. I guess I can't forgive them. I don't forgive them. Right? But forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It is a choice. And when those feelings come up, what do we do? We, we, don't, we don't jump into rehearsing again all of the ways that they hurt us. We don't feed that monster of unforgiveness. But we say... I have forgiven that. We make the choice of the will again. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. I have forgiven that. I put the cross of Jesus between me and that person and me and that situation because it's been dealt with, I have forgiven it. And as we act in obedience to forgiveness as a choice of the will, eventually our feelings will begin to come in line. We lead our feelings. We don't let our feelings lead us. Forgiveness is not letting them get off scot-free. And here's why. Because... God is their judge. And every one of us will give account to God. Forgiveness is letting God be their judge. And so choosing to forgive and then walking that out can be a difficult path, but it's one that we need to do because we're called to it. It's one that we need to do because it will set us free. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, 
See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So it's actually our responsibility to help people experience God's grace and to help ourselves experience God's grace in the midst of the the difficulty of forgiveness so that bitterness doesn't take root in our hearts. Because when bitterness takes root in our hearts, it will poison our soul and we won't even recognize it until we are so soul sick from unforgiveness that the bitterness begins to spill out on other people. And we actually, it says, defile many by the bitterness in our hearts when we hold on to unforgiveness. We tend to hang on to things because we think that somehow by not letting go of it, we are holding them accountable or punishing them for what they have done. But it seldom has as much effect on them as it does on, the one, on us when we hold on to it, right? You've heard it said that, uh, probably, that it's like drinking poison hoping they get sick, right? We're just poisoning our own soul with unforgiveness because we want to hold on to this so that they pay. The other person may not even realize what they've done or remember what they've done. And yet we're letting them, as, as we've also heard, letting them live rent-free in our heads. Right? And, and, and impacting and influencing the way that we think about ourselves and causing that bitterness to, to become toxin to our souls. And if we choose to forgive, is to choose to rise above the thing that was done to us, is to choose to evict that person from living rent-free in our, in our heads, and it's uh, to, to choose to, to free them to be under God's, God's let, letting God be their judge instead of me. Because you know what? He does a, he does a lot better job. So we need to forgive because we've been commanded or or called to it because it'll set us free and because we've been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven. It says, the passage we read, Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Um, We're told... Remember in in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching us how to pray and he teaches what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father or whatever. He teaches teaches that model of prayer. And as he finishes teaching his disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses, debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then after he teaches them that prayer, he, he says... For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sin. That sounds pretty heavy. And I think it's because if we don't, if we are not able to bring ourselves to forgive others, then we don't really understand the grace that has been poured out on our lives. We don't understand the debt that was paid for us. Of course, Jesus tells that story of the guy who was forgiven tens of thousands of dollars by the king and then goes out and finds somebody who owed him 20 bucks and starts choking him and saying, where's my money? 
And Jesus used that example to show us, I mean, it's a, it's a silly example, but he uses it to show us how silly, how ridiculous it is that we would hold things against one another when we've been forgiven so much. I'm not saying it's easy. I regularly have to work through that stuff myself. We all are there, right? But we've got to learn to forgive one another. All right. We got a We got soup downstairs. Y'all hungry? I don't think I said that during the announcements. Don't anybody go out for lunch because there's a lot of soup downstairs that you all need to eat. All right. Um, do not provoke one another. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I think an attitude of forgiveness or grace really begins with having as few opportunities to have to forgive and be forgiven as possible, right? If we don't end up in the situation where we've broken a relationship with each other, then we don't have to do that forgiveness thing. And so, so uh, not provoking, not, not envying each other, not ending up in a situation not, not picking at each other will help us to not get in that place where we've got to forgive. Does that make sense? Um, in a recent conversation, um, Pastor Pam was sharing an insight that the Lord gave her. Uh, often, oftentimes, when God is at work Wanting to grow us, well, and that's every day, by the way, right? He's at work in our lives, wanting to grow us. But oftentimes what happens when he wants to grow us, uh, he causes a holy dissatisfaction to grow in our hearts. He wants to stir up the nest and get us out of our comfort zones, right? To get us out of our, our ruts. And he stirs up a holy dissatisfaction in our hearts. Things in our, in our spiritual world are not as we want them to be or not as they should be. But if we experience that dissatisfaction and we don't turn to God, we begin to look around at everyone else to find out why we feel irritated or dissatisfied and we begin to pick and find fault with our brothers and sisters. And we will find things. We're good at finding things to pick at, aren't we? Come on. Yeah. And so rather than come in and worship Jesus on a Sunday, we spend our time thinking, well, if they'd sung that song differently or played their instruments better or sung on key, then the presence of God would have shown up. You know, it's their fault that I don't feel God's presence, right? The pastor preached too long or he didn't shout enough. I can shout if you want me to. Not enough people wear ties and dresses. Too many people wear ties and dresses. Right? The, the list is endless of things that we can pick at each other about. But what if God is just trying to get our attention to seek Him more instead of getting our eyes on each other? Right? When we feel dissatisfied, we go to Him and say, God, what is it in here that needs to change? Okay, let's keep moving. Um, do not pass judgment on one another. We talked about this a little bit, but Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister.
right? As we, as we said already, one problem with unforgiveness is that we are presuming to be the judge for someone else. And we don't know their hearts. We don't know all the circumstances around their choices. We, we tend to judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Right? They did this. That hurt me. But, oh, I... I didn't mean to say that. That's, that's not what I meant by that. I didn't mean to hurt you. you know. And, and so we want, we want to be given the benefit of the doubt for our intentions, but we are slow to give the benefit of the doubt for other people's intentions. Right? We're quick to judge others and not give them the same grace that we would want to be given passage goes on to say that we should make up our minds not to put any stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. It often happens, folks. That somebody comes, comes in, curious, open, wanting to check out our church or, or other churches. I mean, I've, I've seen this happen in probably every church that I've pastored. People come in, they're curious, they want, they're, you know, what's this all about? And someone gets in their face and tells them how they ought to, you know, what they ought to do and how they ought to live. And, and, and before you know it, a stumbling block has been put in front of them and they fall on their face and they're gone. Right? That ought not to happen. And that's what Paul is saying here. Make, make it your intention to not put a stumbling block in front of your brothers and sisters because of judgment. Confess your sins to one another. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. We ought to be able to find a safe place in others when we are struggling with temptation or sin. To be able to share what is going on in our hearts without the fear of being judged. None of us is without sin. None of us has arrived. And the last thing we want is for someone to be afraid to share their struggles with someone and end up keeping that secret in their heart and it ends up destroying and defeating them in their journey with Jesus. Wouldn't that be terrible? Confession is our friend. Chuck, a couple weeks ago, said uh, a couple times in, over the weekend, he said, um, uh, conviction is our friend. Holy Spirit wants to show us what's go, what, you know, what needs to be dealt with in our hearts because he wants us to be free. He's not there to condemn us. He wants us to be free. And confession is our friend because it can set us free. Sharing our struggles with another human being brings it into the light. Sin loves shadows and darkness. Loves The enemy wants us to hide our sin in the shadows. He wants your soul to be cluttered with that stuff that you're keeping secret. And to feel like you're the only one who struggles with this. But bringing it into the light with a brother or sister that you trust takes its power away. And that's why James says that we will find healing when we confess and pray with one another.
Two more quick ones. Try to be really fast. Lay aside falsehood and speak truth to one another. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 25. I don't, I don't think this is just about not lying to each other. Although it's a serious issue, you know, it's pretty serious to lie to one another. But in the context of Ephesians 4, I, I think what this is about is, is about being willing to have open, honest conflict rather than pretending everything is okay. When underneath everyone, everyone can feel the, the tension or the elephant in the room when we know stuff's not right, but we pretend. It's not healthy. Right? And so, so we're told to lay aside falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. Have those open, honest conflict conversations so that healing can happen. It's not a bad thing to have those, those conflict conversations. In fact, it's healthy. When we work through stuff with our brothers and sisters and we come to a place of, of forgiveness and restoration and healing. And lastly, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we, as we land on this one. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we get hurt, bless you, when we get hurt, and we will get hurt in life, in family, in church. It's called being human, right? We will get hurt. When we get hurt, we tend to harden our hearts so it doesn't happen again, right? Getting, getting hurt is the risk of loving deeply. But when it stings, we tend to say, I don't want that to ever happen again. I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to open myself up to that again. And so we risk less. We love less. And we pull inside of our tough turtle shell. But it's lonely in there. We're not meant to live in a tough turtle shell. It is hard work, folks, keeping our hearts tender. But it is worth it. And it's the difference between truly living or letting our soul shrivel. It means not stuffing the disappointments and the stings that come our way, but choosing to, to feel them, to process them, to take them to Jesus and to find healing. Because there is healing at the cross. There is healing when we go to Jesus with those things. When we go to Him in honesty, pouring out our hearts, growing in the discipline and the choice of forgiveness, Jesus will renew your heart as you trust it to Him again. And he'll enable you to love again. Why should I bother, Pastor? Why would I do that? Because that turtle shell gets old, and you are not meant to live in one. You were made with the capacity greatest capacity of any of God's creatures 
to love and be loved. You were made with an immense capacity to love and be loved. It's part of what makes you made in the image of God is that you were made with that capacity to love and be loved. And to choose to shut down our hearts is to choose to be diminished as an image bearer of God. To choose to live less than what God intended for us. And when we understand how amazing it is that God in Christ forgave us. It frees us to be kind to others, tender-hearted towards others, and to forgive as we have been forgiven. Let's stand this morning. I know that this is a particularly sensitive message in this series for many of us. Because when we have stuff that we've not processed, not worked through, not dealt with, not brought to Jesus, not found healing for, not learned to forgive, it sits in our hearts like this raw, open wound. And on a day like this, it just feels like pastor just ripped the band-aid off. It feels gross. It hurts. But I want you to know that that's not because I don't love you. It's not because God doesn't love you today. But it's because he does, and I do. That I remind us today how vital, how important it is that we grow in the discipline of forgiveness so that we can live in this family together without feeling like we've got to cross to the other side of the room because that person, you know, what they did. Without feeling like we've got to cross the other side of the street when we see somebody coming. But we can live with clear, whole, healed hearts in this world the way God intended. So I want to pray. I'm going to pray that God would take this word deep in our hearts. That He'd give us strength to face maybe some stuff we need to face work through some things we need to work through. Maybe even you have a conversation before you leave today. It's okay. Um, if you'd like prayer for something this, this, this morning as we close, soup's not going anywhere. You can, you can uh, get, get down there when you get there. Love to pray with you. And I'm going to pray a blessing in the soup as well as close so that you can just go down and uh, dive in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing love for us. I thank you for Jesus and all that he did for us on the cross. I thank you for hope and forgiveness and peace and salvation. I thank you for freedom. I thank you, God, that, that, uh, that you have come to set us free. God, this morning, some of us in this room need to be free of unforgiveness, bitterness that's taken root in our hearts, stuff that's unhealed and un, undealt with. God, you're putting your finger on it this morning, not because you want to hurt us, but because you want to heal us. Give us the strength. Give us the grace this morning in this moment to lean into this to receive forgiveness ourselves to receive strength 
to forgive. God, I pray that you would heal us as a body, as a church family. If there's unforgiveness that has caused tears and rips in our relationships, God, you'd bring about healing and wholeness so that we can together be the fullness of what you've called us to be. Move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. God, today as we go from this place, even throughout this week, may we be conscious of what you're doing in our hearts to bring healing. Bless the food we're about to share together. Bless our conversation that we would be an encouragement and blessing to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.